Welcome aboard, folk. This is Joe Public, coming to you on public record on Radio Remote. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Technical stuff. This is Joe Public. You're listening to the public record. It's Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, you know, something, something, Nova Scotian. And uh, I'm here for the next couple of hours. And I did the uh, ni- I did 1980 last week, right? And um, I had put it out to a vote amongst my uh, imaginary audience on the socials media. Um, should it be 80 or 81? And the and the vote came down for 1980. So of course we're going to be doing 1981 tonight. That's 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 it's an of course it's an obvious. Uh, why would I have to think about it? And there's actually one record from that year that kind of defines my entire experience of 1981 um, musically and, and in so many other ways. And this is the first track from that record on the public record. Oh, my God. <laughs> Some new kicks, ones like you ain't never seen. This is home. 
Vince Neil cannot freaking sing. <laughs> oh, that was uh, that was a uh, that was a track. That was a song. That's what that was. That's Merry Go Round uh, from Motley Crue, um, who released the, their debut album. Too Fast for Love in 1981. And uh, the story goes that Van Halen took a break. And that's how we got Motley Crue. Basically, Van Halen had been churning out records and doing tours, and they got worn out, and they took a break. And up jumped Motley Crue. And and the rest was sort of history i do have a soft spot for that band i mean they're just they're they're sort of ridiculous on a level that many things are not ridiculous um but uh god he can't sing um before that blue oyster cult um with joan crawford an equally ridiculous song with lots of I mean, there's a chicken, there's a chicken noise in the middle, in the middle of a rock song. Uh, Cause it's mayhem, you know, and it, and, and if it was any other band, I would, I would go, what's wrong with you? But with Blue Oyster Cult, you just know those guys were having way too much fun. They're in the studio. It's like, oh, we want to make it sound like mayhem. We're going to have a chicken. We're going to have a, a, a alarm clock and a car tire screeching and um, I don't know, all kinds of wacky, wacky. Because they were they were wacky guys, and I started us off with Mean Street by Van Halen. I, I mean, seriously, I, I like can I have all these like uh, childhood you know doesn't lend itself to vivid memories, right? When you're old, um, like you remember significant stuff, and and then you're not certain if your memory is the memory of the thing or the stories that have been told about that thing so many times that you've completely replaced the memory with those stories, right? But there's certain things that are like visceral memories. And there was a guy in 1981, there was a guy who was like, he was a, he was a kind of a friend of mine. Um, his, his name was Mike Tui and Mike, um, he was a nasty kid. Like he just did mean stuff to people. Cause he, he was, a, he was, ang- I look back on it. And I absolutely see this is an angry boy. He was angry at the world and, and his anger made him do just terrible things to other people. Um, but Mike had the most impeccable taste in music and he was like, a year and a half younger than I was. So I was not cool with the fact that he had better taste in music than me. But I remember Mike bought Fair Warning and called me and he said, come to my house right now. You have to hear this. And I went, I, I'm busy. And he's like, no, get on your bike. Come to my house now. You have to hear this. So I got on my bike. I rode over to his house and he was totally solemn, like, like he was going to unveil some sort of secret mysteries of, uh, of the nether reaches, um, in front of me, like Cthulhu was going to rise in his room. And I was a little bit frightened and then he's like very gingerly puts this record down on the turntable and he tells me to sit in a certain spot and he turns the volume to a certain level and he puts the needle down on the turntable 
and oh my god. I mean, like, the hairs on the back of my neck and on my arms stood on end for the entire duration of the record. And I think I left his house. I don't think we talked. I think I left his house, I rode home, went and got my little stash of money and rolled, rode to the record factory and bought that record. Um which was not a thing I would normally do. Normally I was very calculated about buying records because I had limited funds, but I was just like, I have to have this. And I, oh, and, uh, yeah. Gr- great. One of the greatest hard rock records of all time. Fair warning. There you go. I'm doing 1981 here, folks, on the public record. I'm Joe Public. And um, there's all kinds of like weird stuff. I'm, I'm going to like cover pop culture stuff from 1981 as as in whatever ham-fisted way I can. There was a movie that came out in 1981 called Heavy Metal, animated film. The animation is god-awful. And the story, the plot is ridiculous. Um, but it 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 carried some kind of like cultural weight with us like because it just it 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 seemed cool like the way it was marketed it seemed cool and i think also because the soundtrack was amazing and this song was on that soundtrack and was my favorite song on that soundtrack and is to this day my favorite song by this band this is cheap trick
so that's that's another like that one gives me chills that's another record that has a like has a huge shadow over my memory of 1981 because it's uh, hard promises is the record that tom petty made that he grabbed the master tapes and went on the lamb to stop the label from releasing it because they had planned to use the fact that he was one of their best selling artists to launch this plan where certain artists records were going to cost a little bit more like a dollar more than other artists and tom petty was just outraged absolutely outraged by this one he didn't want to be the guy that suddenly cost kids a buck more to to buy a record plus he thought this was ridiculous like why why because i've had hits do my records cost more and somebody who is is new like they're cheaper it's it's like it creates a dis, a discount structure in the music business in in the record business and he objected to it so strongly that he took the master tapes and literally went on the lam like they had private eyes looking for him um like there was a reward to find him that to, to me that's just that's crazy and i remember that the whole hearing the whole background of that and i was i kind of liked tom petty like i i had some of his records and i i liked him and i thought he was kind of cool um but i remember when i read about that at, at in 1981 it just it floored me like he was he was he was protecting me, right? That's, I mean, that's the conception you have as a teenager. Like, this, this rock star is is looking out for me. Um, yeah, and it, again, it kind of created this crazy bond where I've just, I just gave him a pass on everything forever. Um, you know, the including the really embarrassing Southern Accents tour, um, which even he himself, like later, realized, yeah, that was a, that was a terrible idea. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just gave him a pass I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on anything from that point on. And then I also remember, so that like, um, one of the FM stations in the Bay area, one of the big FM stations, um, was KFOG. Um, and KFOG when I was a kid, um, had been, uh, like elevator music, like Montavani kind of thing. And they switched formats, I think in 1980, um, to classic rock. And um, KFOG did some cool stuff in these oddball time slots where there weren't that many people listening. And on Sunday nights, they used to, I think at like 7 o'clock, they would play a new album in its entirety. They would they would play side A, then they'd do a commercial break, and then they'd play side B. And um, Hard Promises was one of the records that they played, and I listened to it on the radio, and I I, I kind of loved it. Plus, there's like that particular song is a showcase for the secret sauce of the Heartbreakers, which was Mike Campbell's guitar playing and Ben Montench's organ and piano. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's super meaningful to me. I'm like, I'm overclimped here, over here, over a Tom Petty song. Sorry, folks. Uh, Jefferson Starship with "Find Your Way Back." Uh, another that's a like a Bay Area thing. Sorry, um, ELO, yours truly, 2095 from the the worst ELO 
great ELO record of all. It's um, my friend Barney has this whole thing where he talks about how Led Zeppelin only has great records. Like the worst Led Zeppelin record is better than everything. And so we, we always argue about what's the worst, best, what's the best, worst Led Zeppelin album or what's the worst, best Led Zeppelin song. And um, to me, like ELO went on such a tear through the late seventies. Like, and then this like weird, synthesizer thing ha- that Jeff Lynn did with uh, the Time album um, that came out in 1981. It, it's, it was jarring, but I also, I kind of loved the record. So there you go. There you go. And Cheap Trick, Reach Out from the Heavy Metal soundtrack started us off. You're listening to Joe Public on the public record. Um, I have a uh, longtime listener, <laughs> my friend Jenny, who is going to kill me if I don't play something that's not like what I was just playing. So I'm going to play one of her requests. This is Split Ends.
Dreamers, we're 
too many times <laughs> nah kids in america is a great song it's a great tune a fantastic tune just the fact that i played it like literally hundreds of times with um with my old band um oh wait my 
Family is making noise in the background. Would you like to say hi to the people on the air? Oh, and now they go quiet when I ask them to me. <laughs> All right. Kim Wilde with Kids in America. I, w- I always thought, so I always wondered what was up with that because it seemed like such a one-hit wonder thing. And then having to learn how to play it and like playing it hundreds of times, I got fascinated. And it turns out it's totally creepy. Like her older brother and her dad wrote and produced that song and then totally like stage mommed and stage broed her life. Um, you know, which is kind of why she's a one hit wonder because when she got money, she kind of tried to put some distance between herself and them, which, um, I guess you could probably understand, you know, if you have, um, if you have creepy, uh, creepy family members before that, the go-go's with this town. Oh, I got in an epic, epic, epic argument online. Uh, I'm on this this uh, group on the face splat um, for guys who are in cover bands. And uh, somebody had posted a thing about playing a go-go song and all these douche nozzles jumped all over it. Oh, they weren't a real band, blah, 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 all this stuff. And I just, I, they caught me in a bad day. And uh, I was like piranha when a cow has been thrown into the lake or the river. Um, I, I just swarmed that crap because it's nonsense. They actually were a legit punk rock band. And um, they got, yeah, they got like, you know, manicured and, and molded to be more commercially acceptable and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? So what? Um, if I was like 20 years old and somebody says here, here's an opportunity to become a gazillionaire, um, get super famous, go travel the world and play music in front of people who love you. Um, here, wear this, I'm putting it on. There's no question. I don't care. Like, like could be elephant panties with a trunk for my wiener. I would wear that if that's what happened. It'd be fine. I'd be cool with it. (laughs) Oingo Boingo with only only a lad before that. Um, I uh, through my like weird family of like older cousins and my sister being uh, the, like eleven years older than I am. I actually got to see all kinds of like concerts and stuff when I was fairly young, and I actually saw the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo, and oh. You know, I don't, it doesn't mystify me why they pared the band down, but it was kind of an epic and a cool thing to have. Like, I think they had like 20 guys, like a whole, almost a whole orchestra, and it was a whole theatrical production. It was pretty cool. Um, yeah. So there you go. Split ends with One Step Ahead by request on the public record. I'm Joe Public. It's Tuesday night. Um, wow. And that's like almost half the show. Psst. Painless, right? You're tuned in. You're sitting there. What are you doing? You got like a glass of Chardonnay. You're contemplating the suckness of the universe right now. Or maybe you're sucking down a beer or, you know, you've got some fine scotch. Um, Whatever. I don't care. Or you're drinking water. I don't care. But you're here. You're listening. That's what I care about. Um, I also care about this song. So this song didn't become a thing for like a couple years later, but it came out in 1981.
of Lola and I took her back to my place Feeling guilty, feeling scared, hidden cameras everywhere Stop! Hold on Stay in control
I saw the Pretenders on their last tour with their original lineup. Um, uh, I saw them at the, what is, uh, I think, called the Kaiser Center these days. It used to be called the Oakland Auditorium. Um, I saw them um, with that lineup and, uh, like, got to, like, shake hands with Pete Farnan and James Honeyman Scott because uh, we totally stalked them at the backstage door after the show. Um, I also recall that the opening act, Bow Wow Wow, was the worst band I have ever seen. <laughs> and and so understand perspective. I've seen a lot of bands, like hundreds of them. Um, I've seen a lot of bands who couldn't play their instruments. Like, like I'm, I used to hang out at 924 Gilman. I, I saw kids at like, 
picked up a guitar, didn't know how to tune it, and just like wailed. And they were better than Bow Wow Wow. They were horrible. Worst band I've ever seen. Flat out awful. Like, drop a safe on them. That's how bad I thought they were. They were so bad, I left. I retreated to the restroom and like hid in a stall and stuffed toilet paper in my ears. That's that's how horrible they were. That's it. Yeah. And I like their records, but they were awful. God awful. <sighs> Glad to get that off my chest. The Kinks. Before that with Destroyer. The Kinks did like this weird thing in the early 80s where they tried to be hip and it kind of it 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 I look back on it now, like I listen to that stuff and I'm like, wow, dude, you're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> but it's also kind of cool. It's it's like, you know, some of it's pretty good. And I like that song, Destroyer. It's a good one. Um, Ramones with KKK took my baby away. I thought that was um, somehow um, appropriate for these times, these times that we are living in, you know, these m- majorly effed up times. Trying to avoid getting the E. <laughs> it's that whole podcast thing of like it's this this has a whole other life as a podcast, right? And so I don't want the E. I could be dishonest about it, but I don't want to be dishonest about it. I don't want the E. Ah, fuck it. <laughs> there we go. Got the E. Uh Generation X with Dancing with Myself. And if you are one of those people who goes, Oh, that's a Billy Idol song, I'm like, Yes, Billy Idol was the singer in Generation X. And that song was recorded on the last, the third Gen X album. Um and uh yeah, and and then and then the band went poof and uh Billy went his separate way. So one of the things that's kind of funny, like weird little coincidence, coinkinink, um, is uh, on this uh, this like sports arguing group that I'm on. Um, they started talking about MTV, and then somebody mentioned, "Hey, A and E's running this documentary about MTV. You guys should watch it." And so I hooked it up on my DVR. I wanted to see it. And it is self-serving crap because it's absolutely told from the from the point of view of the executives that ran the network, um, and they had a great time, right? You know, it was money, 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 cocaine, cocaine, women, rock and roll, right for them. Um, but it's very, very telling that only um, Mark Goodman and Alan Jackson. Um, appeared of the, of the on-air talent and famously so uh nina blackwood jj jackson and martha quinn all got fired um in 1983 or 84 they all got kicked off the air and um have kind of not been fans of their former employer um whereas like mark and jay and and, and alan quit they they quit on the same day in 1985. They like walked out the door, um, but it uh, so they're you know they like they feel like I think they they have the sense of well we we left on our own terms, um, whereas the rest of them were kind of like you know what I'm not gonna help you celebrate your thing that uh, I didn't make enough money off of and that uh, you know 
fired me. So, it, it, but it was it was fascinating because I didn't realize. So, like it, growing up in in Alameda, California, we didn't have cable. There's no cable TV in Alameda until 1985. So, like the entire planet is tying themselves in knots in the early 80s about MTV, and we don't got it. Um, and and unless you had friends in San Leandro or Oakland, you had no way to see it. And um, so, of course, what do you do? You know, if you're me, if you're hipster Joe, hipster cool, like I'm holier, hipster than thou, um, I immediately decide I don't like it, right? I've never seen it, but I decided I don't like it. And, and then I can, and then I like developed an entire narrative about why I didn't like it, um, unseen. <laughs> uh, and then by the time it came on, it was lame. I mean, like the MTV was just like, weird programming that was not like the the thing in the early days it was really striking to watch this documentary and see how because they were desperate for content they would put any video on the air they just they had not enough stuff to fill 24 hours of airtime so they showed everything and so and they they because of that they broke artists that nobody cared about and nobody knew about like people who made the went to the trouble to make decent videos got their videos played on MTV and they became stars because of that. Well, by the time MTV is in, you know, like my living room, they're not doing any of that. It's like, you know, and now we're going to show Thriller for the eighth time today. Um, or here's the latest five Madonna videos. And it just, uh, I didn't, it, it, it became like a, a, um, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. I had said that it sucked, and by the time everybody I knew could see it, it did actually suck. So, there you go. That was that was my MTV experience. But like watching that documentary was crazy to just see how shoestring the whole thing was. I mean, they 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 met in a bar in New Jersey. They couldn't watch it in New York because New York cable didn't carry it. So to see it launch, like all the execs and all the folks from the office had to go to this like funky restaurant in New Jersey and um, the signal light got cut after the first three minutes. So it was static. And then like shortly after the second video came on, but just it's crazy. It became such a huge cultural and commercial juggernaut. And uh, at that point it was... It was like a thing somebody did in their garage. So, I don't know. I'm of mixed feelings about this. Um, anyway, I'm going to get back to the music. It's because, uh, yeah, I got, you know, time Time is, the clock is ticking. Um, okay, I got to play this because, you know, dude was right. And also it's a great record. <laughs>
got a monkey shine all to his head And every hand's got a tiger in her hips They can twist and turn, they can move and burn They can throw themselves against the wall But they creep for what they need And they explode to the car And then they move! Blink on and off while you start your fun with 
That's REM by request with Radio for Europe. I had a band in the 80s. <laughs> I'm sure that shocks anyone listening. Um, and uh, three-fourths of that band were very, very big fans of that particular record. And it dawned on me, like, we studied it. Like, like it was, like, go to school, study the REM record kind of thing. And it it dawned on me several years ago that one of the reasons why R.E.M. clicked and and also why the Smiths clicked and why the Cure clicked with us in that particular era um, was because what we'd actually been listening to for most of our adolescence was like headphone rock. Like we were serious all I mean, the the weirdness of the fact that we were kind of like a like college radio alternative type band, although you didn't call it that back then. Um, the 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 weirdness of the fact that we got together actually is all explained by the fact that we were all gigantic Pink Floyd fans, and and had spent hours listening to Dark Side of the Moon and Echoes and. Um, to animals and the wall and just, I mean, our drummer, our, our drummer's bedroom, this maybe should have been a little bit of a warning. Um, the first time I walked into, we used to rehearse in his basement. When we walked into his bedroom, he was a, like, uh, aspiring carpenter and he had actually turned his room into the wall. He had taken, um, boards little pieces of wood and he had cut them into uniformly sized bricks. He had painted the walls of his room black and then he had glued these boards painted white to the wall to make the wall out of his bedroom. Like literally his entire bedroom. He lived in the wall and that I walked in that room the first time and went, whoa, that's cool, is indicative of how also screwed up I was. Um, and, and uh, like, completely oblivious to the fact that he was just making a giant statement. Um, but anyway, like, so we were all really into, like, the headphone rock thing. And the thing about R.E.M.'s early records that kind of differentiates them from a lot of the other stuff from, from that era that's, that's similar is it was headphone rock. Like there's all this stuff going on. There's like bells and chimes and, and, you know, piano hitting one note on the left hand side of the headphone. It's, it's, it worked for somebody who was steeped in that kind of, um, experience of listening to music in a way that a lot of other like alternative bands and punk rock stuff wasn't because the production values weren't there. It was too straightforward. It was too straight ahead. Um, so there you go. That's, that's my argument about why we embraced the REM, um, before that. And it's funny. Okay. If Craig's still listening, he will get this. Cause we were, we were joking about this on Saturday. It's like, if you put the in front of anything, it makes it just sound more serious. Like if you say the COVID, it sounds, sounds a little more serious than just COVID. Right. So the REM, um, gun club before REM, the REM, the gun club <laughs> with sex beat. Um, that's just a great 
song that nobody knows that well, right? I mean, it pops up on compilations and stuff like that, but Jeffrey Lee Pierce, you know, a uh, short life kind of guy and, and didn't go very far. So you, you, you don't get much out of them. Uh, Devo jerking back and forth. Um, Adam and the ants stand and deliver and the police started us off with too much information. How fricking prescient was sting. I don't want to give the guy credit cause I don't actually like him like the human he is right now. I don't care for him that much, but he was dialed, man. You Listen to those police lyrics. The guy knew what was coming. Why didn't we listen to him? He was too pretty. Or something. (laughs) Or he just rhymed too much. Maybe that's it. He rhymed too much. That's it. I'm Joe Public. You're listening to The Public Record. I'm going to get to some more music. I got to do a little thing here on my computer, which I guess I forgot to do it while I was flapping my gums. Um, so there's another band. This is another song uh, that like like uh, the set set the 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 hairs on the back of my neck on end. It's you too.
love song with simple minds i adore that song like i have probably annoyed 
uh, like 40 people <laughs> over my lifetime by sticking that one on a mixtape at some point or another, just because I, I love that that song. Uh, I wish they were that good of a band. The Simple Minds are one of those... I just called them the Simple Minds. I did that, didn't I? They, they're one of those bands who go into a recording studio and they make magic. They go on a stage and you want to throw bricks at them. They're just insufferable. Um, and it was one of the great disappointments of my youth was like the first time I ever got to see them perform. And I'd been a fan. I'd had their records. And I finally get to see them and I was just like, what is this? This is like the, I'm boogieing for half an hour on this one song dance mix version of it's terrible. It's like, it's like step away from the weed, Jim Kerr. Um, anyway, you too before that with rejoice. <laughs> Speaking of weed. Um, now I love, I loved you too, but like very, 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 very early on in my, uh, in my experience with them, I loved them and then hated them when Joshua tree came out. Cause I, I guess I, that record is like, that record is a rock in my shoe. Every time I hear a song from that record, I'm just like, ugh. Um, so eternally grateful that they moved beyond that because they were one of my favorite bands and it would have been terrible to have them like make all their records sound like that one. And I realize I am in the minority, like the whole rest of the planet has a completely different opinion, right? So there you go. So Joe Public, Public Record, I am not going to come back on the mic. I'm going to play a last request and maybe one more thing after that. Um, I appreciate you tuning in. Um, it's always great to to do this. This is a great, like my weeks generally start off pretty terrible. Mondays for me are not good. Um, I don't know that they are great for anybody, but Mondays in my particular corner of the universe are particularly sucky. And um, so I look forward to this. I look forward to being here and being with you and doing this. So thank you very much. Whether you're alive and you're listening to the stream or you're tuned into the podcast, you know what? I don't really care. I don't really care. don't really care. doesn't matter to me. I like it when you're here. I like it when you're in the chat. That's what I, that's, that's what I dig. Cause there's a chat, www.radionope.com. <sighs> Alrighty. So without further ado, um, this is by request from my dear friend, Jen.
by me arose. 